I've been putting bad guys away for 44 years. I've been part of investigating over a thousand deaths. I've been a part of putting more than 400 murders in prison, and I'm still at it. I'm Tim Corbett. These are my cases. This isn't your typical criminal profile podcast. This is Killer Catchers. Good evening. My name's Tim Corbett. I'm owner of Corbett Investigative Service and KillerCatchers.com. Tonight we're going to be talking about an incident that happened on August 27, 2016 at the corner of Diamond and Vassar. A person was killed out there by the name of Chandra Johnson. Uh, our suspect, his name, and he was arrested. Uh, he goes by Lorenzo Pfeiffer. His nickname is Black. So when you hear us refer to Black, that's not an ethnicity. That's his nickname. Um Tonight I have with me Kyle Slater. Kyle, uh, when I was commander, uh, who, he's still at homicide. He is an evidence technician. Next to him is Brian Cook. Uh, Cookie and I ran partners for a while. Uh, he worked with me for, I think, 10 or 11 years. Just recently went back into patrol. You can see he looks a little bit less stressed if you've seen him in some of the other ones. But, uh, you know, it, a lot of pressure on. Um, tonight you're going to hear a lot about... Shot spotter. If you don't know what that is, Kyle will explain it to you. You're going to hear a lot about informants and how helpful they are to cases. Uh, you're going to hear about a list called a rat list uh, that was put out and turned over to us by people that were friends of mine, informants within the county jail. Um, make no mistake about it. I made a living, still do, off of informants, people that want to help. Uh, also, don't make the mistake of thinking that they don't want a little love. Yes, they do. Information that they give, we have to we have to ferret out. We have to verify it. We don't take it just at face value. They are very, very helpful. In fact, uh, when I retired, I took a bag, a big trash bag about like that with probably three or 400 letters in it from prisons all over the country, uh, every facility in Indiana, county jail, People that wanted to cooperate, that trusted us, trusted me, that came forward, they are invaluable. So what I want to do, I want to go back to August 27, 2016 at about 10.30 p.m. Diamond and Vassar, like I, uh, like I said earlier. And Kyle, I'm going to kind of open it up to you because uh, you were the evidence tech on some of this, but there were also other evidence techs. Ken Cornelis, Mike Norby, and, and uh, who else? Jim Andrews. Jim Andrews. Jim Andrews has since retired. Uh, I guess he's driving truck now. Um, I rode in a squad car with him. If you ever see him on the road, pull over, because I don't know if he drives or aims, but he's out <laughs> driving a truck. So go ahead. Uh, so to put the scene into perspective, um, South Bend police were called out to the area on a shot spotter notification at uh, 10 32 in the evening on the 27th there and it was shot spider was indicating six rounds um, approximately two minutes later and that was on lawndale which is about two blocks away from diamond ambassador then about two minutes later uh shot spider indicated another round at on diamond ambassador in that area um just to explain what shot spider is shot spider um is a system in the city of south bend um that records and um, it uses acoustic sensors to uh, record uh, obnoxious sounds, uh, gunshots in particular. Um, a computer will read its decibels and 
it will send uh, the information to an analyst and that analyst will look at it and say, yes, this is gunshots or no, it's not. And then within a minute or two, they will send that information directly to the police officers. So, and what it does is those acoustic sender, sensors will triangulate and it will pinpoint right where that is. And it's pretty accurate. It's very accurate, especially if it gets at least three sensors that hits it. And it just gives the officers a little more leeway on exactly where those shots were fired and it gets them going to the area a lot quicker than waiting for somebody to hear them and then call 911 and go to the next person, go to the next person to say, oh, there's shots fired here, but I don't know exactly where they're at. So it's a good system. Um, or not call at all because yeah. they're so used to hearing gunfire. Yeah, so it's definitely, and it, it, it helps us in a sense too. You know, we know how many shots are fired. Um, and, and you can't take everything exactly how it is because there, there are certain circumstances where you have to read the evidence and not just base it off of what shot spotter is. But um, with that being said, so I the Lawndale shots and then that, um, South Bend police uh, responded. Um, they ended up going to Lawndale and... Uh, finding uh, uh, evidence uh, at the actual scene there, but nothing at Diamond and Vassar. A short time after that, um, a vehicle, a uh, black uh, Pontiac, drove to Memorial Hospital and with a, with a gunshot victim in the pass front passenger seat. Um, that person ultimately died, and that was Shanter Johnson. Um, me and Jim Andrews were the original crime scene techs on the scene. Uh, we processed two scenes there, the one at Diamond Ambassador and then also the one on Lawndale. And we were able to collect uh, lots of evidence, uh, some ballistic evidence, stuff like that. Okay, yeah. Obviously there's a lot of photos being taken. There's, uh, you did video? Yes. Okay. Then um, about that time, um, Cookie, you got there? About that time when they were out working on the scene? Yeah. I, I originally went to the, the Lawndale, <clears throat> like he said, was approximately a block and a half. Uh, if you cut through the yards, it's literally um, a minute walk, 30-second run. Um, the, the first scene was uh, Lawndale. Uh, we had the front of the house appeared to have been riddled with bullets, um, shell casings, and uh, the the second scene uh, began after uh, Shonda arrived at the hospital. Uh, his passenger had said where this occurred at, and that's what took us around the corner. So, um, who was your partner? I was with uh, Chris Cromwood, I believe. Okay. No, no, I was with Tony Bontrager. Okay. No? Who was I with? I've had a few. That was in 2016. You were with nobody. You were with Tim Corbett. You and Tim Corbett. So you didn't really have anybody with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'd like to uh, elaborate on that for a minute. We were spread very thin. And uh, in the summertime like that, we go 19 different directions. You were probably on another call. We probably met up later together. Um, but... If Kyle says you were my partner at the time, you were my partner at the time. I remember, like we kind of split up because I was still commander, ran partners with you for two and a half years because a certain department wouldn't send somebody over to us. Yes. So I had to not only do that, 
work with these guys at the scene to see what we have and then get hooked up with you. In the middle of delivering our own subpoenas and driving to different states and bringing people back for court and things of that nature. Do more with less. Uh, yeah, so, so anyway, we, uh, we, we learned of, of Chandra Johnson and where he was uh, ultimately shot at. And uh, at that time, it was, it was one big crime scene, literally a whole two-block radius. Um, we uh, started canvassing neighborhoods, looking for uh, surveillance, uh, trying to talk to people. Um, the suspect... Black, Lorenzo Pfeiffer, and the victim, uh, CJ, as they call them, Chandra Johnson, we found out they were somehow uh, shirt tail related. Uh, some kind of cousin from a, a married side, and that uh, the area of where this happened, uh, they both had an aunt. Uh, that turned out, I don't know, that lived in that area. And uh, there were several people in that area that we talked to and interviewed that kind of led us on the right path of, of Lorenzo Pfeiffer. Um, there were also other people that were, were, were persons of interest. Uh, the, the scope took us to Michigan. Um, it took us, uh, I believe we were down in Indianapolis. We were in Detroit at one point. Um, we talked to, talked to numerous people and everything kept coming back to Lorenzo Pfeiffer. Um, I believe that happened in August of 16 and I think we convicted him in December of 19. Okay, so this wasn't like a quick flip where, you know, we have it on video, nine people came in, pointed fingers, the guy came in and confessed. This was a long protracted um, bunch of police work. Yes, yes um, now, Kyle, going back, you know, we're kind of setting up where we're at. Going back to your scene, how long did it take you guys just basically to process those two scenes? Uh, it was probably throughout the night. I remember getting the call shortly thereafter it happened, uh, 1034, and um, working till 6, 7 in the morning on it. And then it continues after that. I mean, and that's what this was a group effort. Um, uh, you know, I I, I commend the guys because uh, we had help from our other uh, techs and Mike Norby and Ken Cornelis who helped us process a couple of vehicles that were involved in this. Because um, through our investigation, we learned from witnesses that those six shots after they occurred, there was an SUV that was fleeing that area where those shots were seen. And those are actually seen by the people, the, uh, the witness that was also in the car with Shanter Johnson. And shortly after that is when this happened. Uh, we were late, a, uh, able to later locate that vehicle and process it and get ballistic evidence out of that vehicle. And then also with uh, CJ showing up at the hospital and, and the passenger seat, there's obviously a driver in there. Um, that driver was interviewed and um, a couple times and he was able to give us some uh, very important information in this case as well. We are also able to determine um, kind of how this shot happened with that witness and then the evidence inside that car. Um, um, what, what we had is the car pulling, one car pulled up where CJ was in. He was in the passenger seat. And then 
then he had the witness in the driver's seat. Um, they were sitting at the intersection in the car when the other car pulled up parallel with them right next to them, where in the suspect car, the front passenger actually leaned back and then the driver pulls out a firearm where the witness in our victim's car leaned back like so, yelled gun, and then the guy shot, and he shot through an open window, which went through Chandra Johnson, um, hit him in his left chest. Uh, ultimately, through the autopsy, learning that it had actually perforated his left lung and his spine, and then exiting out of his back. Um, that bullet continued into the B pillar on the passenger side of the car. We were able to recover that bullet. So. Okay. And did you attend the autopsy? Um, no, Jim Andrews did. Jim Andrews did. Yeah, just so everybody knows, and I, we've talked about this before, the purpose of an autopsy is, is to establish death. Obviously, we've had uh, cases in the past where a traumatic head wound, you know that bullet uh, that somebody fired is what caused the death. But if we don't eliminate all other causes of death, cancer, heart attack, stroke, anything that a defense attorney can say, how do you know that they didn't die of this? previous to that traumatic head wound or that chest shot or whatever it is, we have to have a forensic pathologist do the autopsy. It's attended by our techs. Uh, copious numbers of photographs are taken. Evidence is documented. Reports are written. Obviously, the, the, the doctor writes a report. And we can use that as our basis for charging, that this wasn't a cardiac event. This wasn't... Uh, uh, you know, a stroke or anything like this, this death was caused by those stab wounds, those gunshot wounds, that traumatic beating, any of those kinds of things. So that's why we have to do it. It is not a pleasant thing to see. It is not uh, something that you uh, forget quickly, especially when, um, and we'll, we'll tell some stories later on, uh, uh, cases about babies. Uh, it's bad enough you have to see an adult human, but when you see a baby about that big, going through an autopsy and the things that that body has to go through. Um, this is a tough job and you gotta be tough to do it. If you're not, that stuff will eat you up. So when, when we tell these things, when I, when I speak about this, um, I want people to know it's just not a commercial and we're out of here and everybody goes and eats a pizza and drinks beer and has a great time. These, uh, you know, there's ghosts, there's ghosts in the back of your head, but you have to be able to put it behind that shade and, pull it down and go on with life. If you don't, then these people that do these events, that kill people, they get to live rent-free in your head and you're not a good husband or parent or grandpa or whatever to, uh, to your family. You can't let that happen. So um, that autopsy it came back that it was, a, it was a homicide. And then from there, Cookie, what uh, were to pick up? Um. Lorenzo Pfeiffer was uh, very popular on the streets of South Bend. Uh, a lot of people feared him. Um, it was very hard to get get the truth out of a lot of people because they they just feared him. He was uh, he was a nasty individual. Um, we had a lot of people come forward eventually. Uh, like I said, our travels took us all over the place, uh, interviewing different people. Uh, talking to different people. And, I think and you did 30 to 40 interviews in this case. So it was if every, not more. every bit of. Yeah. Um, and 
it, it came to our attention that he even had, he being black, Lorenzo Pfeiffer had a, uh, a rat list uh, on the wall in his jail cell at the St. Joe County Jail. And that uh, it contained names of people that uh, were thought to have uh, told in, in some kind of a, a case. And in this case, uh, several of my witnesses were on this list. Um, action was taken and that list was confiscated. Um, and in fact, that list did contain several of the witnesses on this case. Uh, that list was ultimately fingerprinted. Uh, Lorenzo Pfeiffer's fingerprints were on it. It was found in his cell. And uh, I think that had a lot to do with, with uh, getting our conviction on him. Um, well, how did he get all those names? Was it through motion for discovery or was it just word of mouth or he had a premonition and he thought, you know, well, I Someone think this is something uh, Black Lorenzo Pfeiffer had been in and out of the system several times. Uh, and in the system, uh, these clicks, he just gathered information from the people that they believe to have. Some guys do tell what their discovery is, things of that nature. But uh, a lot of it is just uh, made up things that they assume somebody would have told, but uh, this one happened to be fairly accurate. So uh, that was a, that was a big, big stepping stone for us. Now those people on that list, did a lot of those people testify? They did. How, how long of a trial was that? I think we went uh, four days. Uh, I think we uh, was to the jury on the fourth day, and I believe it was late that evening that we got the conviction. About how long were they out? Um, well, they were about two or three hours. It wasn't. It wasn't very long, really. No, it was a couple hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Three. I think it was a couple hours. The jury. So obviously, they were pretty convinced. Yeah, not pretty convinced. They were convinced. They were very convinced because they, they all correct. Yeah, that is correct. Um, when that list was out. Um, was put out. We also found a fingerprint of somebody that was on that list that uh, brought the information forward, correct? That is correct. So that's verification. That's it's 100% verification. Why do you think he had that list? I think it was for revenge. Do you think why? Uh, I believe that uh, it would eventually turn into a retaliation. Uh, Hence, it's why people are very apprehensive to come forward because you have people like that that, that do things of that nature. Um, but I think ultimately that list was to to uh, retaliate. Well, you know, I, I started talking about it early on. Let's be honest about it. Uh, a lot of these people that come forward, they're looking for help. They may be in there on a burglary or whatever. And uh, we always, we always qualify with we're not purchasing your information we will take your information we will pass it to the prosecutor's office and that's between the prosecutor's office and your attorney we stay out of negotiating we stay out of bargaining we stay out of that we are not going to purchase your information we'll listen to what you have we'll use it and we'll give you the respect to pass that information along to the prosecutor that you have uh, given us a statement, you have testified, 
And, uh, you know, uh, that's how the system works. I can tell you in my 45 years, if I had five people in my entire career say, screw you, I'm not going to talk and really not talk, I'd be surprised. One of them's doing 70 years now, so, boy, you really taught me a lesson. Uh, you don't want to talk, don't talk. Take your information, take your ace and hold a prison with you. We'll do you anyway, and you can't play it after it's after the game's done. So um, it behooves people to help. Um, it, it obviously helps us. It helps the system. I do understand the reluctance at times because there are cowards that will retaliate. They may not... Uh, retaliate directly against you, but uh, it's changed so much with that. It used to be um, the bad guy only went after the other bad guy. Now these people will shoot up a car and they don't care if there's 15 nuns and nine babies in there. Somebody gets hit, it's collateral damage. The The care factor is extremely minimal. Um, least- and, and that's reflected in society in general with the excusable behavior of everything and it's everybody else's fault. But the person that's doing it and you think you can hug a thug and make everything go away. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. It's like being the bully on the playground. If they take your lunch money, they're going to keep taking it until you punch them in the face and then they're going to stop taking your money. That's just the way it is. Uh, that's old school. And I know there's probably people out there going, oh my God, you're not going to give them a trophy. No, I'm not going to give you a trophy. I'm not going to give you an excuse. I'm not going to put cocoa butter on your butt and tell you what a terrible life you had. We're going to spank you. We're going to put you in prison. And it's you put yourself there. I don't know of any cop, any cop that ever woke up and said, geez, I think I need one of these, whatever that is, and throw him through a window and call him a burglar. You did the crime. We caught you. Sometimes you did the crime and we didn't catch you. But remember, you got to get right every single time, every single time. I only got to get it right once. So good luck to you. So are you... You were speaking of uh, the the people that come forward and how that helps. Uh, also, want to put out there that of every one good credible person we get that we can confirm as the fingerprint that yes, this is very credible, this is good. That there are five people that we squash and do our investigation and find out that they're just talking BS to try to get something that. So that's that's why you never and we, we have never the whole time I ever worked for you. Never said, hey, we can work with this or work with that. Everything has always been factual-based. We'll listen to your information. If it proves good, we'll go to bat for you. If it doesn't, then sorry. Well, and there's I times that one out of every five is, is good. Well, but the one in every five, the other ones you're talking about, they may have got the information that I told him and he told you. You know, it's like playing yes. telephone. You say yes. something in the phone, this person hears it and it goes around the room. By the time it comes back to you, you go, what the hell happened to the story? Because you hear it, you process it, you regurgitate it, comes up something different. So all they're doing is regurgitating what they've heard. Right. They are not verifying the information. They're just verifying, this is what I heard, I'm telling you. I'm not telling you it's gospel, I'm not. I'm just telling you what I heard. So some of that is secondhand, thirdhand, 15th hand, whatever. And we have to, like you said, we have right. to get rid of it. It's uh, not that, and, and we have had people, we've had people blatantly lie and sure. we, we spanked them. Yep. We spanked them. Absolutely. Uh, so back to you, Kyle, you go to the, you go to the post, you recover evidence, come back. Uh, that's, that's put in, in the book, which, you know, some of the books are like that. Sometimes there's two or three of them with all the reports and all that kind of thing. And then that's used as a basis to help us get charges, correct? 
So yeah, it's it's just a it's a process. You know, once we get the evidence, we're not just done with the evidence. You know, we got to start sending stuff to labs. Like you guys talked about the snitch list, uh, we sent that over to the South Bend Crime Lab, and they were able to develop a fingerprint on there and compare it and actually match it. Um, with that, you know, all the ballistic evidence we collected in the case, you know, we were able to take the casings from Lawndale and the bullets from the SUV and the Black Pontiac and take them over to the South Bend Crime Lab and have uh, Ray Wolfenbarger, who is a, you know, spectacular uh, firearm and tool mark examiner uh, to be able to compare that stuff. So, Well, we're lucky. Obviously, we keep talking about Ray and it sounds like a romance. It's not, at least not for me. I don't, I can't speak for anybody else, but um, Ray is lucky to even be here. Uh, Ray was a victim. uh, He was working uniform, stopped the car, walked up to the car and got shot numerous times. By all accounts, Ray should have died. Uh, But for his will to live um, and a great doctor named Scott Thomas, and of course, the sky boss put his hand on him and said, "Nah, there's something, another plan for you, Ray. He fought through adversity, fought through pain, still walks with a limp, has not used that as, a, as an excuse. And he's gone on to excel in, uh, in ballistics and tool marks. The guy is gold. They don't pay him enough. They don't give him enough accolades. They don't give him enough equipment. Uh, that guy has put together so many cases for us, in addition to the other departments and the other entities that we work with. But um, I'm talking about Ray right now. So um, I appreciate everything he ever did for me and in, in, in the unit. So Cookie, kind of take us down the line now where everything's are starting to churn a little bit. And we uh, have... Uh, you know, things are, things are falling into place. And, and uh I always like to use the process of it's easier to take somebody out of the picture than put them in the picture. Uh, it broadens the, the scope and it, it narrows it down to where you get to your suspect. You can't just have a tunnel vision and not uh, follow up on everything else that is potential. That's what took us to Fort Wayne and Detroit, Indianapolis, things of that nature. Um, Lorenzo Pfeiffer ended up getting arrested on something different and uh, ended up getting, I believe he got sent down to Miami County. Is that correct? That uh, he got sent, he got, he got locked up for a while for something, uh, which gave me a, a kind of a, a feeling at ease because at that point knew who it was. It was just putting it together to, to prove it. Um, and I just, I know that, that he is a bad guy. And if he would have stayed on the street that long, that uh, somebody else would have died. Um, and through talking with everything, and I think over the nearly four years, I think it was 40 months, if, if my math is correct, from the time this happened till we got him, there were numerous prosecutors uh, that were helping with this as well. Um, one in particular, I remember that she traveled to Fort Wayne with me two or three times to speak with people uh, over in Ohio as well. Um, was that Amy? Yes. Amy Herring? Uh, no, that was not. It was Kim. Kim Schultz? Yes. Okay. Who is now a federal prosecutor. That's correct, yes. And then that case was handed off to Amy Herring? Yes. Amy okay. Herring was the one that actually went to trial on it. And uh, so through the years, um, with with just the the workload, it 
you know, the, you you take what you have, the time, and you, and you go. And, and Amy Herring ended up with it, and uh, we took it to trial, and that's when we got it guilty on him. Well, did, I can recall there was a lot of contact with Chandra's mom. Yes. And as well as his girlfriend, correct? Yes, that is correct. And obviously that's all part of it. We, and again, I know I'm repeating myself from other shows, but um, we tell as much as we can tell. Um, there's certain things that only we, the police, need to know. That way if somebody comes in and tells it, uh, we know that they got that either from the person that killed somebody or they're the killer and they made a mistake. So we're very guarded with our information. How, how was uh, how was his mother? Uh, his mother was, uh, their family had been through a lot of hardship in the past. And, and this was, it was obviously very rough on mom. Mom was a very religious-based lady, uh, just a sweetheart of a lady. Um, I stayed in contact with her on the phone. She would call me probably... Once every other week, and she'd always call me Officer Cook. How 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 is anything new happening? Anything going on? And always told me I'm not a I'm I mean I I know there's a sky boss. I'm not a huge religious person, but she always said I'm praying for you. I know I know you. I know your team. I know how you guys do things, and I know you're going to get this one. And uh, she was just very just very supportive. Uh, she had trust in us, and um, I'll never forget. Uh, when we were, when the jury came back in with the verdict of guilty, I remember turning around looking at her and we both just, just broke down. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. It's almost like, uh, tears of, of happy. Um, and that was for his mother, uh, because obviously Chandra's not coming back, but you know, it's for his family. So, but, and she, even, but aren't you one of those policemen that doesn't care about anything? You, your systemic racism and yeah. all these horrible things that are put out. You're talking about a full grown man here that's seen a lot, heard a lot and started and broke down because yeah. of caring. So when I hear that chin music about all this stuff that that's never shown, show me the proof. You say it, but you don't have the proof. These are people that care. Um, and that's what you need to hear. And in, Here's something. Um, we're, we're talking about Chandra's mom. Chandra's girlfriend was going to either be here in person or on the phone with us. I called her today, and she has a relative that was a victim of a homicide yesterday morning that these guys arrested somebody today. That's how, how these tentacles reach out. She couldn't participate because another relative, she lost her, she lost her boyfriend and she lost her relative to gun violence. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. That's, that's it. just, right. I, I just, it infuriates me when I think of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Chandra's mother, just, just a wonderful lady. And even now she'll send me a text or call me every now and then say, I hope, hope you and your your family's all well, and uh, I'm still praying for you, and, and thank you for what you've done for our family. And, uh, you know, this is my number if you ever need anything. Just a great, great lady. Um, I, I think that she realized that we, uh, we, when I say we as our homicide unit, we don't see people as a number or as a, just an incident. We, we actually look at them like they're family. And, uh, when she saw that, I think she was relieved and she knew that we were going to be diligent about it. 
and she stayed faithful through the years. And uh, thank goodness, you know, it, it all came out well. Well, thank goodness is, uh, that's a good term, but thank God that there's people that push and keep digging and don't go, eh, who cares? I'm getting off at five o'clock anyway. I'll get some overtime. You know, you worked all night, get a nice fat check. We get it solved. Okay, if we don't, don't really care. It's not one of mine. That's not the way it is. It's absolutely not the way it is. So verdict comes back. How did he take it? Uh, he was almost in, in disbelief. Um, in fact, wasn't he even bragging before trial how he's going to kick our ass in trial and he's going to win this? And Yeah, that was uh, when the courthouse and several staff had heard him, overheard him talking uh, that, that uh, this is a joke and he was – he was walking and he was not going to, that there was nothing to it. So he was, uh, he was definitely looked like, uh, oh shit, when it came back as guilty. Mm -hmm. Any fights or anything in the courtroom? No issues like that? Uh, you know, we've been through so many trials. I, I can't remember if this specific trial had uh, any fights. I know that through the week of the trial that there was a lot of separation of, of family in the courtroom and there was people asked to leave just because of uh, just outright blatantly talking out in court and the judge is not going to put up with that. But uh, I don't think there was any physical fights that I recall. Okay. Now, now he, he sits for a while, comes back for sentencing. Mm -hmm. um, how'd that go? And usually Usually, everybody gets a call on that, that the jury's back, and everybody from the team that's around, everybody runs down there to yes. see what happened and walk the jurors out and all that kind of stuff. That's that's exactly what happened. Uh, when it went to the jury, uh, I think we'd been there all day, and I believe we might have went and got something to eat, uh, and everybody's within uh, just a few minutes of the courthouse. Uh, we got the call from, from the, the courts uh, saying that, the, the verdict was in. Uh, we all met back there. Um, and the courts are always very, very uh, good about making sure that everybody's family is back uh, so they don't just march right in and give a, a verdict. They let the family get in there. And, uh, you know, we assembled and were seated for the judge. And um, when we got the, the guilty verdict, uh, you know, you have the... Non-believers, you hear the the rumbles of that, and then you hear the thank gods from the the family side, um, and then he's he was led away, and uh, we stuck around and then talked with the family and Shamra's uh, uh, mom uh, hugged me, would not let me go. She about snapped my neck in half by squeezing me, which I was totally good with, uh, and. Uh, if I remember, we, we did walk people to the cars because we didn't know what was going to be happening outside the courthouse. Um, and if I recall, I believe the team went and had a beer. That's something we always do, too, is we like to walk the jury because we don't want any retaliation on the jurors from suspect family saying, oh, they're the ones that caused this or something like that. So we want to make sure that their safety and then also kind of you know, hey, it's over with, you know, what did we do that was good? What pushed it over the edge, you know, or if it's on the negative, you know, what, what, what could we have done, you right. know, that would have 
When he went back, he sat for what, two or three weeks, 30 days? What was it? Then he comes back for sentencing. For sentencing, yeah. Um, I don't remember. It's, it's usually about 30 days. Yeah, it, it was somewhere somewhere around there, 30, 45 days. And he, he came back for sentencing. And I believe, he, uh, I believe they gave him 60 years. He was looking at 45 to 65, and I believe he got 60. How was uh, how was his demeanor when he came in? Did he have that you know the usual jail uh, strut? That cockiness wasn't as cocky the second go around when he walked in. He was more business like at that time. Well, you're guilty. All you got to do is accept your fate. Now you got to find out um, you know what you're going to be looking at. Right. Um, that was uh, you know like all of them. Uh, you know it's a sad event, but it's very satisfying to know that. Again, you know, people like us are are solving them, are caring enough that uh, to follow through, not give up. Um, and it's and again, I don't want to sound like it's all homicide because it's not. It's the responding officers. It's you know Ray Wolfenbarger and his team, Charlie Eakins looking at fingerprints, people recovering stuff, jail people that recognize the issues. It just goes on and on and on. FBI, ATF, DEA. The marshals, everybody fighting for the same cause, and many times under the duress and the suspicious eye of non-trusting and, and again, um, you know, all the falsehoods that are put out there about cops. Um, again, anything else you want to say we'll be wrapping up here? I just want to touch a little bit more on the, the whole caring part that you were talking about. You know, we, we you know, we're called out and we're 100 miles an hour we're given 110 percent the whole way and we don't always have time during that point in time to sit there and think about you know uh, a lot of the feelings and stuff like that but when we go to court and we hear the verdict and we get a, a, a guilty verdict and or, or during a sentencing and we we have time that at that time to reflect a little bit and be like you know this is this is real this is serious and you see the emotion and i think that's a lot that you know, I know when I go to watch the sentencings and the verdicts, I, you know, that's where it becomes really real to me because I'm actually seeing the realness of it from the family. You know, they're hugging us. They've never, you know, met us in their life before this. And and they're seeing all the hard work that we've put forth. And I think that's very touching to me. I think that's something I really... Cookie? Um, just, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a, a fact that, our team uh, always takes each case as personal. Uh, it's a family member to us. It's not a number. Um, and like you said, all the other agencies that assisted, and uh, this was your saying, uh, if we're going to be shitting in somebody else's sandbox, let's let them know. So any all these places I went to to, to interview people in different towns and stuff, talked to the local police there and they were more than glad to send a, a uniform car with us to um, in case things went sideways um, and just effort from everybody. It's a lot of cooperation. It's, it's a pretty amazing thing. Well, I, um, I wish we could have had somebody from the family here tonight. Um, obviously the circumstances that, I, that we were talking about uh, were, are more paramount. You know, you lose another one to a violence, um, it's a bad thing and you have to take care of your business. That's why we're speaking for the family tonight. Uh, I can tell you it was an honor and privilege to be a policeman for 45 years. Um, 
with the private stuff that I'm doing, I'm still doing homicide cases. I still enjoy it. Now I do it how I want to do it without politicians uh, trying to tell you what to do. And to me, uh, the only difference between a politician and a prostitute is the spelling. Um, I have the opportunity to lead a great unit. It was easy because I had great people. I want to thank all the first responders, all the people in the military, and all the vets. Um, you have given me the opportunity to be in a free land and, and do what I'm able to do. Um, you know, you've listened to me now on probably six or eight of these things. Take a look at me. I'm never going to be a greeter at Walmart. I've seen myself naked in the shower, so I know the adult film industry doesn't want me. So I'm going to keep putting people away. I think Kyle's a little embarrassed. Maybe, uh, maybe he knows something I don't know. I don't care. But thank you for giving us the opportunity, and uh, we'll have another one next week.